0: Hi everyone. This is the Sister Luna podcast and I have some unfortunate news. I'm sorry that the episode has not gone up. Um, I know some of you may have may have even noticed and so I apologize. The reason for that is we inadvertently invited the archetype of the trickster to mess around with our recording on our last recording i had a guest on who's a close friend of mine he's a long practicing pagan um he's also an author very interesting fellow to talk to Um, He's working on a great novel right now about witches, but unfortunately, the first time we recorded, his audio was of such poor quality that I couldn't save much of it, and so we actually arranged a second recording, and those files somehow, by the magic of the trickster, got saved onto a cloud disk and um, the air quotations space-saving solutions built into that disk deleted the data and corrupted the files. So, that's what we get (laughs) for (laughs) making a show about tricksters. (sighs) In any case, I apologize. I have pulled a couple of little excerpts out um so i'm going to play those after this and you can expect an actually good beltane episode next time i promise and again i'm sorry um you can find jared's writing at frozen thought blog at wordpress.com the novel he's working on is called battle Witch alice
1: in a lot of ways, Maddie kind of got me into the craft and has been also a big inspiration in maintaining my spiritual practice and yeah. Well, I think a lot of the spiritual guides that I've found in my life do have kind of a strong trickster element to them, but also when... In fiction, these are kind of characters that I have a really strong affinity towards. I'm a huge kind of fan of Neil Gaiman, and he just put out his new, like, book of Norse mythology things that uh, it's just, like, a bunch of, like, old poems kind of rewritten to be an actual prose and not, like, hard, janky old English to read. So, supposedly fairly true to form, and Loki is one of the characters from the Norse pantheon that I... I would say I find particularly interesting when we talk of these sort of trickster deities where he kind of, I think, embodies sort of almost kind of the true, more negative side of that trickster spirit, where being utterly self-serving most of the time and kind of self-defeating in that way, whereas—and I see that as a much more kind of mortal reflection of that kind of trickster energy— there is a giant that the gods kind of accidentally hire to build them a wall because well they hire they hired him thinking he was a man and he said for payment for building this great wall around Asgard it's a simple thing i only want 3 things freya as my wife and i want and i want the sun and the moon so that i can have all light Yeah, that's all. And the gods are like, well, dude, you're still a man. Like, you're gonna be here. So, like, yeah, Frey. Well, even if it's possible for you to do this, because the wager is he has to complete it. He says he can build this massive, amazing wall in three seasons. And Loki's then says, well, no, do it in one season, and maybe we'll agree to your terms. So Loki tries to kind of trick this person to say, well, no, we, like, there's no way he can do this. So let's just wager that, hey, if you can't complete it, you still have to complete it, but if you don't do it in the timeline, we don't pay you. And so that's the trick that Loki intends to put on this supposed man, who is to build their wall. The man goes to work and is impossibly fast, to the point that it is unimaginable. He has this horse with him as well that is faster, stronger than any horse, and it is hauling mountains worth of stone in a day. And the gods clue in, this is no mortal dude, and they effectively realize that he's a giant. But And they know the giants are the enemies of the gods, and really this is a plot to steal the sun, the moon, and the most beautiful god away from them by the giants. Like, he makes this proposal in front of all the gods, and Freya's there tight-lipped, saying nothing, and Odin's like, okay, leave, we have to we have to talk about this, and she's like, okay, I understand we need a wall, because we feel defenseless when Thor isn't here, but, um, this better be the best fucking wall, and, like, if it, again, I am gonna be so mad if this happens, like, okay. And then, I think once they realize this is a giant, um... They kind of have a discussion where they're like, well, he's going to finish the wall in time. Shit, what do we do? He's going to take all the light from the world. And Freya, that sucks. And Loki's... And Freya kind of is saying, like, well, if this is going to happen, I'll accept my fate, but I only ask one thing of the gods of Asgard. Kill the person that did this, which is Loki. And... (laughs) He is like, but everyone, come on, we all agreed to this idea. Like, we all made this suggestion. Like, this is a contract between all of us and this guy. And she's like, actually, no, this was your suggestion because you thought that we could trick him, and that's how this would work. So, your fault, find a way to fix it. But then Odin turns to him and just says, find a way to fix it. I have. There's nothing we can do for you, it's on you. It's either fixed, or you're the reason we lose all the light in the world and frame. So the trick he does pull on this giant man is he distracts his amazing, amazing horse. Um, His name is Svaldifir, I want to say, or something crazy like that. I'm trying to find, like, yeah, Svaldifari, yeah, is the amazing horse. Without any explanation. The next on the I think it's supposedly the last day when it's very clear, like the rate at which guy is building wall, shit he's finishing tomorrow. Oh god. So but on the last day of work, his horse is nowhere to be found. Until eventually the man the giant sees that there are now two horses. There is a beautiful mare that is matching his horse that somehow is just as fast as it and like it's taunting him and like seducing him and this and he does what he can to try to like call his horse back to him and command this amazingly trained animal but the beauty of the mare is too much for the stallion and they ride off into the morning light and are not seen from again presumably and the giant is kind of screwed and he does what he can to try to finish the wall but by sundown he's not done and he flips out at the gods and They're incredibly mad, and it ends up Thor comes back in time and fights the giant. And then, surprisingly, Loki is nowhere to be seen for any of the uh, revelries. And is, in fact, not seen for several months. Until he eventually returns with a grey mare that um, looks that What did they say? Um, Oh, it was a beautiful fall. Although it had eight legs instead of the usual four, and it followed Loki wherever he went and nuzzled him and treated Loki as if he were its mother, which, of course, was the case. It's just a spider horse. (laughs) And that is the horse that Loki gives to Odin as the fastest horse that ever will be. And it, yeah, and it's... The greatest horse that ever exists, and it's what Odin rides into battle for Ragnarok, and it's, yeah. But if you ever mention its heritage around Loki,
0: and this fella, he may become one of my like main patron deities, Lug of the Long Arm. <laughs> so. I didn't know that he was considered to be a trickster until I started looking up specifically tricksters. And then one of the sources I found says, in addition to his roles as a smith and craftsman and warrior, Lug is known as a trickster in some of his tales, specifically those rooted in Ireland. And that goes back to your point about the underdog, right? Because Ireland... So for so much of its history, was under someone or another's, like, thumb. So it's interesting that they would take this, like, taskmaster deity and make him into a trickster.
2: Well, I I think there is a lot of self-interest in kind of these early human societies as they're moving from, like, hunter-gatherer into agrarian or, like, early feudal systems if you're smart, to create a bunch of stories that are like, yeah, the smart people are actually the powerful ones.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, on here it says that the reason that he was considered to be a trickster oftentimes was because of his ability to change his appearance. And it says that Lug would appear as an old man to fool people into believing that he's weak. And then I wrote in my notes, a trick that I have also used to great effect many times. (laughs) like very oh but I'm just a small tiny woman and I'm polite and sweet and feminine and I would never hurt anyone and I don't know what happened to that guy he just fell down that has nothing to do with me (laughs) I think it all like John is saying it comes from that place of people going well what type of story am I going to create I'm going to create a story where I'm the one who gets that comes out on top Hmm. you know whether If you are really big and strong, then yeah, you'll write a story about how the big strong person smashes everyone and then they win. But if you are a small disenfranchised woman, you'll be like, oh, I was, I acted weak and then I tricked them and then I won. Or like I was really clever. And so I figured out this solution that no one else could see. And then I won.
2: Well, I think to that end, like, I don't know, you were talking about shape-shifting, and I think that's a pretty common
0: I don't know, power
2: amongst all of these trickster gods. And
0: yeah.
2: If we are to take the idea that, like, that is, you know, it's the writers kind of projecting themselves on, onto these these spirits, onto these gods, what are we to make of that? And I do think it's kind of like a, it's a discomfort or it's like a dysphoria Uh, their own place within the world and so like the idea of being able to you know transform yourself can be very empowering I think Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in transforming yourself is one thing but transforming your environment is another huge aspect of trickster with rebellion revolution chaos like breaking down the current order destroying it and but only through that destruction is when something new can be created. And that's where the trickster archetype becomes the the anima of like creativity and of I don't know. It kind of reminds me of the tower card a little bit. Everything I looked at was like trickster equals school, trickster equals school, blah 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 blah. But then it's also saying at the same time it's about If there's a very orderly structure, very strict in place, the trickster only comes to, you know, mess that up, disrupt it. Exactly. And so that's maybe the tower is a bit extreme to apply to a trickster archetype. But bringing something new from the ashes of destruction is what the tower is all about. So I think I don't know. I feel like there's an in like a link that you can't fully divorce from between trickster and like tower energy, especially when you're talking about revolution. Like the tower is a card of revolution very much, though.
2: So. Right.
1: Because it's kind of just saying again, like another reason for like the importance of the trickster, where it's like those rules typically don't come from a place of oh, this is actually a good thing, and this is society runs this way for a purpose, to keep people safe, or any of that stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of the rules in our society are bullshit made by people that were just fortunate enough to come into a whole lot of control, and now we're very, very, very afraid of losing it. And that's, that's about it. And... We can continue to appease these people and their fears and work for them and make them money. Or we can try to tear down the system and build something better.
0: I find this with almost every single episode that we record... Once I'm doing the research for it, I find a greater not only understanding of the subject that I'm researching, but a greater affinity oftentimes for whatever the subject is. And I've found that with tricksters as well, even though I always knew I kind of liked them and I always a little bit related with them <laughs> because it's like John was saying, I'm not a big person who, you know, who has like a lot of influence or a lot of like physical presence but I can trick someone into thinking like, you know what I mean? Like that's one of the tools that's available to me as a small woman. (laughs) And so I, I've always liked them a little bit, but now I like them even more Mm -hmm. than I ever did before, especially considering applying the necessity for the trickster in the act of like true creativity is if you're at, thanksgiving dinner or whatever with your family easter dinner i guess and somebody brings up something super gross like your weird uncle brings up something terrible and you're like "Mm, actually no i don't think so or whatever and you get in there and you start presenting all of these ideas that don't that aren't cohesive with the general understanding among everyone at the table all the other guests are like, there's Loki, like there's the trickster spirit right there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like talking about police brutality and whatever, (laughs) you know? How dare they?
2: I'm not even sure if it's even that, because the one, the thing, the trickster spirit that I come across a lot is, especially when you, when you talk about kind of a more utopian future, the Thing that prevents us from like changing the the structure of society or the superstructure, um, the underlying assumptions, is to me the reputation is always like, well, it's human nature. It's human nature to be like self interested and and like greedy and and awful. And so like that's why we have to keep the systems that are in place in place.
0: That's why we can't just make sure everyone has a house and everything like exactly. and everything that they need to exist. Because if the fear that's... of starvation and death is not present, they'll all just be lazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous.
2: And it, yeah, no. Like if anything, the past the opposite has would be true. Past. Yeah, the absolute opposite, and that it's most people are are communally interested um, and. If anything, there's, you know, the the more you benefit from the current system, the less likely you are to be in step with the rest of humanity and the more likely you are to continue to want to exploit and, and to take from people. And they present this model of like, yeah, all of humanity is like homo economicus. It's the person who is rationally self-interested and if we act on those impulses to like you know serve our own self-interest everyone would be better off which just is not the case
1: I think yeah instead it's been more of to go back to like the metaphor or like the allegory with like Loki and Ragnarok and everything it's more a like a mini Ragnarok or a mini significant trial that those in control fear. So it's sort of like, it's like a reason for those in control to say well no, like isn't it a good thing that we do all this bullshit? And for those really caught up in the bullshit, they can they will be kind of even further reinforced in that. But for those of us that aren't and are outside of the system, we Kind of, I don't know, feeling like I was getting a little bit of my own ass, but like kind of like, um, kind of see that like there is a reality beyond, like what the stock market is, like that whole, like it's all not none of it's even really real. Like the wealth of Jeff Bezos is tied up in Amazon's stock price. If he were to liquidate his interests in Amazon it would have a material impact on the stock price of Amazon like if, if he was suddenly liquidating all his stock the market would be like what's wrong with Amazon why is Jeff Bezos not want to make all this money anymore like he can't just turn his billions into cash right away and then own stuff it's based on like his wealth is based on the value of this company and the only and, like, we have all just collectively decided, yeah, that's probably what I would pay for a share of Amazon stock. And it's – that's it. It's all just bullshit.
0: <laughs> How about we build a self-sustaining commune and we all just, like, fuck up and go live there? And we, like, each – we maybe rotate tasks. One day, like, you have to go feed the goats and, like, the next day you have to – check on the solar panels, make sure they're working properly. And like, <laughs> why don't we just do that instead?
2: <laughs> yeah, pretty rad. I
0: mean, that's the first thing I thought of when John said we're all communally um, motivated. I was like, yes, communally, commune. Please, commune. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: <I'm doing> <laughs> <laughs> can we just, renewal is required for growth. But that reminds me of this Rumi quote, which has been one of my favorite quotes ever for the longest time. But I wrote it down specifically here in terms of, like, to apply to the trickster narrative. The wound is where the light enters you. It's not so good. I love it so much. Because, first of all, it's technically accurate. Like, if you get a cut, the light is now shining on the inside of your skin where before Mm -hmm. it, it couldn't touch that part of you but also you know the wound is where the light enters you. like when you get hurt that's when you have the opportunity to like become more present or to to change in some way if you get too comfortable you you're no longer evolving and that's when the trickster comes to be like hey
1: I feel like the point you're kind of coming to with that I like a lot as well that I where we often kind of see this in media where it's kind of that hitting rock bottom forces you to kind of like clue into who is your real family and who is the people that are important to you. I think that that um, like the trickster becomes even more important because I think the other sort of possibility in that situation for people that do hit rock bottom is sort of that opposite Calvinist approach where they are realizing like shit i need to shake up and just follow the rules and like look at people who are successful and just just do exactly what they do because that's that's it that's the only way i'm gonna get ahead is if i hitch myself to someone that is winning and that's that's it there's nothing i can do on my own like
0: the coyote holy fuck one ostara john and i went up to nothell park and um we're just like having a picnic kind of chilling walking around and we saw this coyote and I pointed it out, and and then I said, wow, look at that coyote. And then John did – he did a wolf sound. Mm-hmm. But he was like, oh, coyote. And then he, like, howled like a wolf. And I was like, that's not what coyote sounds like. And I literally don't know how I did this, but I made, like, a perfect coyote sound. And then I swear to God the coyote we were both looking at just, like – he's, like, walking along. And then he's, like <laughs> – he looks directly at me. And I was like, oh, shit, what have I done? <laughs> it's just, like – drew the attention of, like, the main trickster of this part of the world to directly to me. <laughs> I'm <got> so dumb. He's <laughs> like, hmm,
2: what? <laughs>
0: yeah. What did you say? <laughs> did you just call me? <laughs> like, I also wrote down a Jung quote, which is, in all chaos, there is the cosmos. Yeah. In all disorder. Yes, Jung. Thank you so much for interrupting me to point that out.
2: You're welcome.
0: In all chaos, there is the cosmos. In all disorder, a secret order. Nature is chaos. But it's not actually chaos. It's a system so perfect and immense that it's impossible for us to fully, like, see it and understand it. And so it appears to be chaos to us.
2: Hmm. Oh, yeah. No, by no means, like young yin but I do find it interesting that like these archetypes these tricksters have so many like parallel aspects across you know different regions different pantheons. Mm-hmm. that's
0: archetypes. the interesting thing about archetypes so, like it, it's almost becomes evidence for collective memory hmm the mind meld <laughs> yeah
2: i would still say like it's a function of like history and like the progress of humanity
0: but what you're describing is not divorced from what i was just describing right right (laughs) you're describing it in terms of history and i'm describing it in terms of metaphysics but they are both telling the same story in different books we're dropping the ball this week, you can email me at Sister Podcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Instagram at Sister Podcast. And if you want to uh, take a look at Jared's writing and get updates about that, you can find it at Frozen Thought Thank you for listening
2: to the Sister Luna Podcast. Sister Luna says,
0: Invest in a solid state drive before you try to make a podcast about trickster deities.